Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Rise and shine. It's 6 a.m. and your hand can't make it to the alarm clock before the voices in your head start telling you it's too early, too dark, too cold to get out of bed. Muscles lie still in rebellion, pretending not to hear your brain commanding them to move. A legion of voices are shouting the unanimous permission for you to hit the snooze button and go back to dreamland. But you didn't ask their opinion. Your heart beats with a compassion for others, but in the back of your mind there is always a question, a hesitation, but you won't let it stop you. The voice you've chosen to listen to is one of defiance, a voice that convicts you, pulling you towards impact you were meant to make. So sit up, put your feet on the floor, and don't look back, because we've got work to do. But what is each day but a series of conflicts between the right way and the easy way? Thousands of roads stretch out before you like a spider's web, each one promising the path of least resistance. But you know, it's not about the rational, it's about the irrational. So it's time. Rise up. Step out. Become a difference maker. I'm glad you're here. Uh, if you missed the first weekend of this series, don't worry, I'm going to try to catch you up. Uh, to give you the visual of this series, there are people who agree that this world is kind of dark, has some messed up stuff going on, and there are some people who live their life this way, dimly lit. <laughs> but Jesus calls us to something like this. This is what Jesus said would actually make a difference in the world. Not a bunch of, uh, how do I say, dimly lit Christians. Jesus said, in fact, words that we as a church have decided to own and aggressively go after. Let me show you the words, just in case you missed the first weekend. You are the light of the world. You'll notice it does not have any selective wording where it's like, for those of you who, no, it just, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket instead. A lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. 
it is so clear that Jesus tells you and I, one, that there is a need for more light, two, that you and I are supposed to be the light, and the way to do that is good deeds. Sometimes we're like, I thought good deeds were just like to make me feel better or maybe just to help someone out. It's bigger than that. Jesus sees it bigger than that. Jesus sees a world that's pretty dark, pretty messed up, and he's like, I got a solution. Go be the light with your good deeds. So we as a church have decided, all right, all right. If the world needs to be different and we want to be difference makers, how do we walk this out? And I'll sum up the entire sermon from last weekend in one sentence. To make a difference, we need a why. you got to have something that when you wake up and walk through your day, based on perhaps something that breaks your heart or just something you're aware of needs to be different, you need to have that. Because if you wake up, the world's either going to assign you a why or you take it. To make a difference, we need a why. We need something that, that fuels us. I'll tell you personally speaking that there is, well, something in this world that breaks my heart. It's the amount of conversations and the people that I get to spend time with that have absolutely no ounce of hope. Breaks my heart. Marriages that are falling apart. Families that are breaking apart. People who look at life and go, like, I just don't see any hope. Is there any glimmer of any kind of optimism, if not hope or joy, that breaks my heart that you and I are surrounded by people who don't know the loving, grace-filled God who really exists far beyond religion. He's real. He loves everyone. I know we don't agree with how everyone lives their lives, but he loves everyone. So, I'm fueled by a why. But I want us to have a more mature conversation this weekend. Um, because of this, let me show you. Not everyone uh, with a why is making a difference. Perhaps you've been in this category, or it's a friend of yours. <laughs> Where you're like, hey, you watch a commercial. You hear about some news, maybe it comes across your social media feed, or maybe just a conversation at work. I don't know, where something you learn about breaks your heart, and you're like, wow, that is so bad. Someone should do something. <laughs> See, many of us are aware of stuff that needs to change, and many of us are doing nothing about that change. The best way that I can visualize why many of us have a why, like a legit, this needs to change whatever it is, and we're like, but I, I can't do anything about that. best way I explain this is uh, with cards. Now, for those of you who think I'm about to do a magic trick, I'm not. Sorry to disappoint. But I don't know if you like to play cards. Some of you, you love it. I hate it. Always have. By the way, it's not some legalistic thing that I think, oh, you're playing cards. No, no, no. I just, uh, growing up, I mean, I would have friends like, hey, like they wanted to play cards. I'm like, I just, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go play catch or shoot baskets. I just want to do something different. I just want to play cards. Just, sorry if that offends you that I don't enjoy playing cards. 
However, I grew up around a lot of people who loved it, so sometimes I got roped into playing. And I had to learn some games like, uh, well, the tough ones, like Uno. (laughs) If you've ever played cards with someone, perhaps a group of people is better, there's always a specific person amongst you, the conspiracy theorist. You begin to know this because after the person, the dealer, whatever you want to call them, begins to be like, all right, here's your cards, gives everybody the cards. This is where you discover the conspiracy theorists because the person who gets their cards, there's different ones of us who do this differently, they look at this and they're like, hmm, why do you hate me? You ever have that person who's like, see, I'm the unluckiest person in the world. And they, some of you, you're like, how did you know? It's you. It's you, and you need to stop this. But you get the cards, and rather than progress to the game that you need to get better cards, you start to have these conspiracies that the dealer's out to get you, that you're the unluckiest person that has ever walked this earth You might begin to feel like uh, people are at odds against you. You might begin to think that people are trying to hurt you, be against you. And I'm going to tell you this. A good card player looks at their cards and keeps playing. And I know too many Christians got their cards and folded When perhaps a part of the process was for God to do something in your soul that you weren't supposed to quit because you got dealt a bad hand, but that you would actually participate. That's why not everyone with a profound why or a good why or something that breaks our hearts, that's why not everyone actually makes a difference because some of us are like, that needs to change. Nope, I don't have the money to change it. That needs to change. Oh, I don't know how to change it. That needs to change. Well, I sure hope someone with a lot of funding, a lot of wisdom, a lot of experience. Do you see, I think cards teaches us what you and I often do in life. Is we quit and we don't make the difference that God once made. So that's why, this is why, the story of Nehemiah is so profound. If you missed the first part, I'll give you a quick overview. Nehemiah is a guy that lived thousands of years ago. Uh, he worked for the king, and, and he worked for the king. He was, he was good at what he did. It was, he, he tested the wine of the king. He was good at it. In other words, he didn't die. I, I don't know how, that, like how your evaluation goes as a cupbearer, but the king trusted him. Things were going well. However, Nehemiah gets news that his homeland, he's not from where he's working, his homeland is now living in disgrace. People are, are living in trouble. It's going really, really badly. And he learns that his people are living in caves. They're not living in their homes, living in where they're supposed to live. And it breaks his heart. Just like you, at some point in your life, have heard news that wrecked you. Well, he gets news like that. And it breaks his heart. That's why he got a new why. His why went from tasting and, and just addressing the needs of the king like with food and wine to, to all of a sudden now there's these people that need help. So he gets his why. But I want to show you something. 
this is, this is helpful, at least it is for me. Early the following spring. <laughs> the, the, the idea of having your why in something that breaks your heart typically leads us like, all right, let's drop everything and go after this. As soon as you have something that compels you, that has done something in your heart, most of us are like, let's go do something. So, so Nehemiah gets this why, and that's why I underlined this for you, early the following spring. Not immediate. Sometimes our why has to wait. And it's a lesson that if you don't get it, you will quit. If you don't understand that oftentimes when we have something break our heart, it's not that the next day we go after just fixing everything and resolving every problem in the world. Some of us struggle with this. I remember when I felt like God's like, hey, I want you to be a pastor. I'm like, let's go after this. Is this a next week thing? Two years later, I'm like, I don't agree with your tire. Sometimes our why has to wait because our why needs a plan. And oftentimes, we don't want to spend the time planning. We think that our emotions are enough to manage the problems and the issues and to make the difference. And if you've ever tried to do this, where you're like, hey, that needs to be fixed. And emotionally, you just go after it with no plan whatsoever. You're like, hey, I just feel something. And then you find yourself nose deep in problems. And in fact, if you were to become a student globally of people trying to make a difference, do you know what one of the major problems in people trying to make a difference? That as they try to make a difference, they create a problem because they didn't think it through. They quit their jobs the next day and were like, uh-oh. There are many folks, and I imagine you're one of them, as I am, that, that you see someone who's in desperate need. All of us have been there. We've seen people who, who are, are struggling with whatever they're going through. They're struggling. And so we're, we, just, we just begin to live their life for them. We begin to make choices for them, supply everything for them. But then your will or your resources or things just begin to, to deplete. And you're like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. And you find yourself that emotions one, not the plan. Uh, a specialist, Robert Lupton, he, he wrote about this in a book called Toxic Charity. Giving to those in need what they could be gaining from their own initiative may well be the kindest way to destroy people. I think this is brilliant. I think many of us, because we are genuinely being kind and we see an immediate need, but we don't let time for a plan to get developed. We're like, yeah, here you go. Do this. Here, yeah. And a difference doesn't get made. So if you're interested, I can begin to walk you even further into the story of Nehemiah, where you and I can know that, okay, how do we not just be an emotional group of people? Not that emotions are bad, but how do we not just stay there? Well, you're going to have to do something about your fear. Let me show you in Nehemiah. Uh, if it pleased the king, which is a way of saying, I'm scared of you. I'm about to talk to you. And I'm going to ask you for some things. 
but I'm scared of you. That's how that, that's what he's saying. He's, he's got some fear. Oh, he's got a broken heart. His people are living in disgrace and trouble. It, it, him emotionally, he's like peaking. Uh, but he's afraid. Any, anytime you get a why, anytime, fear knocks on the door before the sentence is finished. If it pleased the king, and hopefully, if you are pleased with me, your servant, you see kind of the healthy fear in this. Send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Can I walk this into just normal timing? He went to his boss and said, hey, <clears throat> I'm going to need two months off. Now, now, you can go to your boss and ask for some time off, and, and, be, and that's a bit scary, especially if you have not earned that time. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going to a king and like, hey, you're a good king and all. But I need to go somewhere for two months. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's what I'm going to tell you about what you're supposed to do in life and the difference that you're supposed to make is that you're going to have to uh, resolve something, specifically what you're going to do with fear. Because as you begin to do something that should be done, you're going to get afraid. So here's what Nehemiah did. I'll just pass it on to you. Put your fear on a leash. Make a plan. Now, I, I love this terminology because, I mean, I don't know if you've ever like, come across a dog that's barking its face off and looks like it might be able to rip your face off. You love that if it is, it's on a leash. I've had multiple people tell me at different times, like, oh, I would tell them, hey, I'm kind of afraid of this. And they'll look at me and say, well, just stop being afraid. I'm like, I I don't know how to immediately just, just stop those kinds of emotions. But I do know how to put certain fears on a leash. And if you're going to make a difference, you're going to have fear come after you. So you need a plan. If you decide to not create a plan, you will quit because of fear or many other reasons. So again, let's walk further into the story. As we learn that fear can't stop us, a plan is necessary. David, do I quit my job? No. Don't miss where you are because of where you want to go. Nehemiah is showing us this. Do you notice that Nehemiah didn't in the middle of the night go, are you kidding me? There's people, my people, living in disgrace? I can't go talk to the king. Can't go talk to the king. He'll hurt me. He didn't sneak out in the middle of the night. See, many of us, in the, in the midst of going to make a difference, we burn our bridges. We, we quit our jobs, or we, we, just, we just jump, we abandon our families, we, we don't spend time with them anymore, we just, we just go after it. Don't forget where you're at and what you're around and what can, what can actually help you make a difference. Many of us look at our situations around us and say, but David, it's bad, it's not good, I got a bad boss. You might have a bad boss. But maybe, maybe God wants you to learn something. See, in that waiting time I tell you about when I was waiting for two years to try to become a pastor, I found a job. I had uh, 100, and I'm not exaggerating, 100 resumes. I put them all nicely in a nice envelope and everything and got them all delivered and everything, and no one hired me. Finally, 
in Kansas, a place called Big Brothers Big Sisters of Kansas, hired me. Later on, I learned they weren't supposed to hire me. <laughs> and in those two years of working for Big Brothers Big Sisters, I learned so much more than I learned at school how to be a pastor. Don't miss where you are. Because there's a place that you know that you need to go. Nehemiah knew this and pressed in. Let me show you this. I also said to the king, I mean, he gets a little bit more <clears throat> brave because he's got a plan. If it please the king, let me have letters. The reason he's asking for letters, especially at that time, if you had letters from a king, you were good. Let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely. In other words, I'm going to need some people to help me be protected safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter, again, addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. It appears as though Nehemiah is not caught off guard. He's got a plan. See, many of us have broken hearts, but we do not have plans. Many of us say, this needs to be done. This must be better. I'm going to go lead this. I'm going to make this difference. But we don't have a plan. Can you imagine if the opposite had happened? If Nehemiah's like, I'm really sad. King's like, why are you so sad, Nehemiah? He's like, well, my people, they're living in trouble and disgrace. And the king responds, well, what, what would you like me to do about it? And Nehemiah's like, oops, didn't know you'd ask me that. Or how about more modern day? Well, King, actually, I was hoping uh, you would fix it. See, don't we have a tendency to see something that needs to be different and be made better, and we begin to assign other people the responsibility? I've lost count of the amount of things people have told us that we should do as a church when perhaps God was directing those individuals to go make that difference. See, many of us are living in a world where we're expecting others to make the difference because we're unwilling to create a plan. So I'll ask you something that's been convicting to me. Here. Uh, would your plan compel a king to get involved? If your answer is, I don't know. Or maybe you're like, I don't have a plan. Well, there you go. If you're wondering why you're having to wait for a long time, if you're wondering why, like, I got this broken heart for this, but nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, then maybe you're not ready. Sometimes God does ask us to do things. He lets our heart get broken early so that we will actually get busy creating a plan, not putting the responsibility on someone else. Not expecting the city or the government to fix it all. Do you know why we have such high expectations of our government? Because the church has failed. That must stop. You and I, if we believe God is real and that there needs to be a light in this world, then you and I don't just get emotional about things. We create good plans. 
And if you want to know how to create a compelling plan, you just have to look at Nehemiah. He gives us two parts. I'm sure that someone could argue there's more parts to a compelling plan. I'll tell you there's two main ones. He's already brought up one, resources. You have to have resources. You can't just say, hey, uh, sure hope someone randomly pays for this. You've got to get people involved in such a way that, that maybe, maybe it's your job that's going to be the resources. I know countless people who are like, hey, I've got to go do this. I'm going to go be a missionary, and I have been saving and saving and saving so I can go do that. You're going to have to have resources. Now, I know that you know this. That's why we're not going to spend a lot of time here. <laughs> I know that you're aware that in order to make a difference, there has to be resources. I just wanted to bring up the fact that uh, Nehemiah wasn't blind to it. He's like, uh, we're going to need timber. Uh, we're going to need security. And you, be, you begin to understand that he's like, we're going to need resources. So as you begin to plot out how you're going to make a difference based on your why, in your plan, it should include where the resource is coming from. But you know that. I actually want to spend the rest of our time on the second part of a compelling plan. I'll share you where it came from in the story, Nehemiah. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. If you don't understand, you know the difference that needs to be made. Jerusalem lies in ruins. And its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. I underline this because of what it doesn't say. I just want to point out that Nehemiah, he's compelling people. Guess what's broken my heart? that people are living in disgrace, he does not say, hey, I am going to rebuild the wall. Do you see how naturally out of his mouth, he's like, let us rebuild the wall. Nehemiah knew that resources were imperative, but so are people. That's the second part of a compelling plan, is not only where are the resources going to come from, but who's going to be involved? And this is where some of us are getting hung up. Because you're like, you know what, I got this. David, I am right now in search of the most brilliant, genius, strongest people of all time. Let me warn you. Your plan to make a difference doesn't need the brightest, the most skilled. <laughs> In fact, if you read this story in the Bible of Nehemiah, it's so cool because it gets real boring if you don't pay attention. All of a sudden, we get details that his heart's broken. He's talking to a king. Let's go do this. Here's the plan. But then it begins to rattle off as they say, we're going to build the wall. They start to rattle off, so-and-so built this portion of the wall. So-and-so built this portion of the wall. And after a while, after enough names that you can't pronounce, you're like, forget this. When's the next part start? And notice how he built the wall. He didn't take the strongest ones. I mean, in my mind, I'm picturing Vikings. I have no idea. Not Vikings football fans. <laughs> Not at all. I'm picturing people who, who have spent their lives working with their hands. Like the best of the best. The ones who know how to build a wall in 30 minutes. That's who I'm envisioning. That's who Nehemiah is going to go get. And as it begins to rattle off in the Bible, all these different people, so-and-so built this section of the wall, and so-and-so built this section of the wall, you start to visualize, oh, I bet these people knew what they were doing. 
Oh, no, they didn't. And if you don't believe me, I thought I'd show you something. Just in the middle, if you don't read too quickly, just going through, listening to people who were building stuff. Next was Uziel, son of who in the world knows how to say that. A goldsmith by trade. Huh. A jeweler. Who also worked on the wall. Beyond him was Hananiah, a manufacturer of perfumes. You have to say it that way. What I love, if you refuse to miss it, in this story of Nehemiah taking his why, what breaks his heart, he's like, I'm going to make a difference. He recruits everybody he can get. He shoulder taps. Yeah, the strong ones. And then he sees the jeweler. He's like, I can use you. I can use the perfume maker. Experience is not required in making a difference. And some of us have used this as our excuse. You perhaps have been delaying what you're supposed to not be delaying because you, you not only have your why, you have your plan. You just live in insecurity. Do you know the folks who have impacted this world the most rarely had ever experienced what they did to impact this world? And in fact, the story that resonates with me the most, the story that I think examples a, a need for resources, a need for people, but also a lack of experience, is the moon landing. Now, I know some of you are like, yeah, that happened in Hollywood, and I know you, I know you are conspiracy theorists. But, but typically, when we talk about the moon landing, we talk about Neil Armstrong, we give him credit, he's the hero, he's the one that we're like, he's amazing, we teach our kids about Neil Armstrong, we're like, you gotta know this, it's a big deal, there's pictures, he is an American hero. But he's not the only one who walked on the moon. In fact, I got into the weeds on this one. According to a book called Team Moon, approximately 400,000 people walked on the moon when he walked on the moon. If you don't understand what I'm saying, I'll give some detail here. Uh, there were spacesuit seamstresses, radio telescope operators, parachute designers, there were 17,000 engineers, mechanics, soldiers, and contractors. There's two guys called the Two Bobs. Literally, he called the Two Bobs. The guys in Houston monitoring how little fuel was left in the lunar module. There's a 24-year-old computer whiz named Jack Garman who was able to help with computer glitches. Computer code written by a team from MIT. Roughly 500 people put together the spacesuit. And when I tell you that over 400,000 people walked on the moon, if you've learned any of this, there's a one part where Neil Armstrong jumped on the moon. Here's what they said, no joke. We didn't worry too much until the guys on the moon started jumping up and down. And that gave us a little bit of an eyebrow twitch said by the people who had stitched it together. 
So when I tell you that over 400,000 people watched what was going on, it's because they were a part of it. Now, our culture likes to find a hero. You know, Armstrong's credited with that one step, right? You do know that that one step required thousands of people. Do you know that to be the church that this region needs, thousands of people need to be involved in this? And I would call the most immediate moment, Love Week. Where one church has thousands of people who will not get credit, won't make the news, but thousands of people that will bring this. If you feel inexperienced, good. If you've never made a difference in your life, awesome. I'm going to invite you into being a part of Love Week. Now I, now, I know I've got to practice what I preach. So I thought, well, I don't want you to be a part of Love Week if it doesn't have a plan. So I'm glad that you just asked, David, what's the plan? Oh, this is just a portion of it. A portion of it is that we will go all over this region bringing light. Now, let me give you some specifics to how we'll bring light. Cornerstone Apartments. This is, this is a place that helps folks who are homeless get out of homelessness. We're going to go in and we're going to paint. Because whether you're homeless or not doesn't mean that you go into a place and don't care. We're, we're going to make sure it's nice. Love, Inc. Do you know that there are people right now in our own region that do not have their own bed? We're going to make beds. This is just a sampling. Rapid City School District. I imagine there's a group of us who might have an opinion about the school district. We're going to go into the school district and rather expect that taxpayers pay for everything. We're going to make a difference. Uh, two of the teacher workrooms, we're going to completely redo it. If you've, never been, <laughs> if you've never been in a teacher's workroom, probably the most depressing place in that whole building. We are going to team up with nonprofits, with individuals, with families, and we're going to bring light. So, this plan requires resources and people. The resources, here's what we're not going to do I'm not going to sell you something. So, I do have a plan, though. For those of you who like to buy cookie dough, here's the plan. I think all of us should give to the church this weekend. And then go to the store and buy your own cookie dough. I think it's, I think it's brilliant. Uh, I don't know what you're accustomed to with church. I'm a fan of full disclosure. Currently, right now, we're over $100,000 short of budget. So we've had conversations about canceling Love Week. But we're not going to. I just 
think the better way a church should function is, hey, here's reality. That's part of my job, not to hide that from you. So Love Week needs resources. Give to the church this weekend like you've never given. If you already do, give more. If you never have, welcome to an open invitation. But it's not just resources. It's people. And if you have not currently signed up, it's time to sign up. If you're like, I don't have time. Guess what? I don't have time either. As pastor of the church, I've got some things to do. But that doesn't matter because there are differences that need to be made and I will find time because other people matter. Perhaps we can become a church that we say that we are. An unconditionally loving, irrationally generous, unwavering kind of group. And Love Week is our invitation to make a difference. So I invite you into it and we will celebrate what God does with it. Let me pray for us. God, we do not deserve to be a part of your work, but you've welcomed us in, invited us in. God, I believe with all my heart you have miracles to do. There are people right now praying that you would become real to them and we are your answer. God, please equip us Lord, I pray for this week that this would be a week that glorifies you completely. We refuse to touch an ounce of the glory. Lord, I pray for everyone who's willing to, to give of their resources and their time. Lord, would you use that? Would you use it to change a life, to bring light into a place that that is dark? Someone who doesn't have hope, a school that may not, doesn't feel hope. God, would you... Would you use the good deeds this week to bring glory to you, to bring people to you? So Lord, we commit. Love Week is not about us. It is about you. We commit to your plan to do your work for your glory. Lord, I ask that you would give us favor favor to go to places that have never been to. Favor to have conversations that have never happened. And Lord, I ask that you would anoint the entire week to do a great work. We love you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.